0: If you want to talk, push the button. Button? Not yet. In a few minutes, you'll be in direct communication with the Batwoman herself. Are you ready? Yes, yeah, sure.
1: Proceed.
2: This is Batwoman speaking to you, whoever you are. I have a simple warning that you've taken on much more than you'll be able to handle. You're not Batman.
3: That's the point. It's Sunday. It's Sappho's o'clock. We're talking lesbians, we're talking leather, we're talking taking the law into your own hands. I'm Tim, I'm Shuti. and this is Music for Films Box Set, the underground film podcast. And Box Set is a format where we talk about uh, interesting films that don't currently have a DVD commentary. So we've done one of these before, we did one for the Toby Young film, How to Lose Friends and Alienate People, which I think had the reverse effect from Toby Young's film, and indeed Toby Young. Which is that while Toby Young has, since we made that programme a year ago, uh, has gone on to...
1: Alienate even more people, even if that was even possible. But uh, we've made some new friends. Yes,
3: we have a crude acumen through, through this format of talking over the top of old films. We have another sort of format where we talk about my London Underground film map. But we're not doing that at the moment because... Uh, We're not in London No We're in Scotland (laughs) Yes Uh, But could you also explain to our listeners Why we've taken a year to make another one of these
1: I, I have been busy writing and sending off my PhD thesis After working on it for four years
3: that's very interesting he says <laughs> feigning incredulity <laughs> pretending not to know yes, pretend, the answer to yes. the question he's about to ask. But so Shruti Narayan Swami seem to be Dr. Shruti Narayan no, Swami. Uh, uh, uh, we no, we we're
1: not saying that word yet. We, hope. we are We are being suspe- superstitious about this folks so my examination actually doesn't happen till January and that's when I'll, I will find out on a one fine January day when I come out of a room, whether I am doctor or not doctor yet, so uh, that's why I am erring on the side of caution and just keeping coy about the whole thing.
3: Well, I very much hope that uh, that goes well for you, not least of all because I've <laughs>
2: been intimately involved
3: with the entire process. Yes. Uh, but so, but your thesis does exist, and I think your thesis does kind of. It does dovetail into our subject matter today somewhat. Our subject matter being that uh, today is Batwoman Day, that Batwoman with Ruby Rose's Batwoman uh, is premiering on the CW in America uh, later today. So uh, we thought there are some kooky out there Batwoman rip-offs that were made in the 60s because the Batman TV show was popular. So one film we're going to talk about is Jerry Warren's The Wild World of Batwoman that was made to cash in on the Adam West TV show and then after that we're going to talk about
1: we're looking at the Mexican film La Mujer Murcielago which is basically Batwoman
3: with uh, Maramonti yes, in.
1: with the incredibly
3: beautiful
1: <laughs> <proportioned, laughs> in. Uh
3: So, but what's interesting about those two films apart from the fact that they're exploitation films which we'll go on to talk about is uh, that they're about bat girls bat amazons yes so how does that connect to your thesis
1: well there's lots of uh, interesting themes in in wild world in the wild world film we there seems to be something interesting going on to do with women sort of congregating hanging and out. hanging out and making their own laws about dealing with crime in society. And
3: uh, and so how does that connect with your thesis? What's yeah, your thesis about?
1: So my, my thesis is about women's cinema going in Bombay in the 1930s, but cinema going also as a larger part of women's visibility in public spaces and political spaces, and women literally taking up space and being seen and their voices being included in contemporary socio-political Issues, so it's very interesting to see in the wild world of Batwoman how there's sort of similar stuff that seems to be going on with women being in rooms and discussing how they can take on crime, uh, as if women being in a space in itself is is sort of sort of slightly removed from the world, and being slightly removed from the world is. The only way they can get things done. So, which I thought was very interesting, but of course, there's a in the Mexican Batwoman film. Batwoman is shown to be a wealthy socialite,
3: like Bruce Wayne is in. Like Bruce Batman. Wayne,
1: yes. So she has the means to live out her life comfortably, uh, but she chooses to uh, fight crime and help people uh, and. Over the course of my own research I've found films from the 1930s in India as well where we see uh, women of financial means choosing to not take up a comfortable life but instead uh, put their skills and their resources in the service of the country and society and helping other people.
3: And there's also there is a link to Indian films from that period, uh, with uh, w- women very much to the foreground. In that there's a couple of Indian, um, what are they? Kind of not quite superhero movies, not quite stunt films, not quite sort of crime thrillers. But there's obviously the Hunter Wally movies with uh, Mary Evans in as, as, yes. as the woman with the whip.
2: Yes, my ek ek gadi gin she
1: was a character who would have come completely from the left field so a female character who wasn't playing a dutiful wife uh who's was crying about her husband's infidelity or whatever but in fact she was a rich single woman uh who chose to fight crime and chose to get her hands dirty so uh the character hunterwali which means a woman with a whip uh was you know she had a leather mask and she
3: now you're talking
1: yeah and she was dressed in shorts which was quite extraordinary for Indian cinema at the time and she also this is 36 this is 36 and she also carried a leather whip which she used to literally whip uh, bad guys into submission
3: to tame miscreants yes bad matches well and the other film like this that I'm thinking about of course is um a missing film with Saluchna in uh, bamba Kibili, yep the Bombay the Wildcat
1: of Bombay, yep, in which she played eight different roles, so it's sort of like um yeah, she's sort of positioned as this uh as this detective who can go from playing feminine roles to also masculine roles, so she dresses up as men in the film and uh, we're not quite sure what the what the plot details of the film are exactly, but it is. It was meant to be one of the films that was sort of actively championing the female protagonist and what she could do. So uh, again, a very much a film with a woman in the forefront and also showcasing all her various skills. Uh, again, which is something I think is reflected really interestingly in the Mexican Batwoman film.
3: So uh, to make a connection between your your serious and academic and scholarly area of interest which is women audiences in the 1920s and 30s and the two movies we're talking about which are cheap exploitation films where go-go dancers in tight bras dance around to Blue Note Jazz and uh, Garage Rock weirdly there is a sort of connection I think the connection is that in the 20s, film studios in India and in Hollywood, and probably other places, were aware of the fact that women were going to the movies, so they started to think about having female characters they could put on the screens. What's happening with the success of a Batman film is exploitation film directors are thinking, well, how do we rip this off and make some money off it? Uh, because the Adam West TV show is popular oh by the way I should say the music bed that we're listening to is the um, Neil Hefty theme to the Batman TV show but a cover version done by the sensational guitars of Dan Dale in the same year 1966 and it's the albums are covers of different things and the musicians are drawn either from Al Cooper's Blues Project or Sun Ra and his old orchestra and I think the fact they're all kind of jazz guys yes. explains the kind of unexpected, mordant, tone and timbre yes. timber, to which I quite like. Uh, unexpected Sun Ra.
1: <laughs> the best kind of Sun Ra.
0: He just shows up. <laughs> I am sunra, ambassador from the intergalactic regions of the Council of Outer Space. Why are your shoes so big? Are those moon shoes? What's that crystal thing in your hand? Uh,
3: so, yeah, uh, during this programme, because uh, it is music for films, uh, I'm going to be playing various different cover versions of the Batman theme, of which there are uh, uh, Plenty. a vast superfluity. Um, but also, uh, all-girl garage rock bands. In fact, why don't we listen to some all-girl garage rock for a bit and have a bit of a breather? And then come back with this point about female audiences. What is it? You, you can disagree. I mean, we're a team. <laughs> <laughs> That's just my thought. <laughs> you're well, You're welcome to argue the case that we shouldn't have a music break. <laughs> <laughs> you can fight me. You can no, physically fight me. No. You could probably take me and no, fight. You could. No,
1: if if it was Saturday, I would have. It's, it's so we're Sunday. We're too tired. I'm too, too tired. Lazy. Yeah. Yeah, go on, go on. Take your, take your music. Okay, right so now. we're
3: going to listen now to um, when I was doing my research for this, I listened to many, many, many all-girl garage rock bands from the '60s, which I have to say was uh, a great treat. But this is almost my favourite one, uh, and this is—I'll talk about them after we've listened to it. But this is a bit of uh, the girls singing Chico's girl. Ooh. So that was the fabulous Sandoval sisters Margaret Rosemary Sylvia and Diane uh, who were f- uh, from Los Angeles and I believe of Mexican ancestry uh, I might be wrong about that they might be from El Salvador or somewhere else and sorry if you're listening and I got your ancestry wrong but I think they're an American Mexican family and they had done uh, various other styles of music before moving into the whole kind of garage rock psych area. But yes they're they're, uh, still recording stuff and doing things. They've got their own website uh, which is quite good fun and they're still with us. So in that uh, track there are all these kind of very familiar themes from the mid to late 60s of uh, leather, bikes, various different kind of biker gang nom de guerre people adopting different identities. Uh, As you get further into the 60s, people have a bit more of a sense of, um, not necessarily personal political freedom, but at least freedom in terms of mobility, work opportunities, things like that. There was an interesting thing that was going on in the mid to late 60s where there were still lots of glass ceilings for Mexican-American women, for women generally, for People from minorities in America and elsewhere, uh, but there was also this kind of sense that, that maybe those glass ceilings would, if not, break at least wobble wobble, shake a bit, and there might be a bit of room. So when you have what a Batwoman movie essentially is is just a kind of bait and switch by exploitation filmmakers. They can't make a Batman movie, so we'll do Batwoman. But then what does Batwoman do? And it's it's drawing on a lot of these older archetypes and icons and just ideas from pulp culture pop culture, going back to the turn of the century. So uh, the Bombay Wildcat in the Soluciona movie, or uh, Hunter Valley, or even when they had Batman fight or team up with Catwoman, or have a Batwoman in the comics. It's really just a version of Phantom Ass or or Auguste, Auguste Lepin. The creators of Batman were very heavily influenced by movies, so the criticism of the Joker movie, oh, it's just like Taxi Driver, well, the Joker is just completely and directly ripped from Comrade Wright in The Man Who Laughs. It's not even somewhat influenced by or, you know, partially like. It's just taking the character from the movie which is based on a Victor Hugo novel and just having him as the bad guy. In the same way that Batman is a composite of lots of different things. He's got a bit of Sherlock Holmes. He's got quite a lot of the Scarlet Pimpernel. He's got a bit of Irma Vep from La Vampire, that serial. Irma Vep's the kind of Catwomany, uh, cat burglar anarchist from these movie serials from around the time of World War One that had Misadora, who's a very interesting silent. Uh-huh. actor and film maker from the period so Batman's kind of got elements of that as well he's got, got his skin type suit and he, he's got big bat back, back wings there's that famous shot of Irma Vep with her huge bat wings they're all composites of various different things so by the 60s you do this bait and switch so you say it's not Batman it's Batwoman well what do you switch it with and the obvious thing is they're trying to get in mostly a male audience so obviously, let's cut to the chase. There's a lot of tits in these films. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of asses. There's yes. a lot of jiggling. It's yes. great doing a podcast now that we can just talk about this without having to worry about <laughs> Ofcom. There's a lot of kind of palquitude and fairly sort of crude appealing to male yes. viewers. Yes. But then there are also elements of it which are perhaps a little bit more interesting where once you get beyond that kind of slightly crash, cheesy lure for the audience... What what do a, a bunch of Batgirls do?
1: Um, this is what my biggest problem was with the Wild World. Yeah, which we're going
3: to dip into in a minute. Yeah,
1: Batwoman. Yeah. Um, because, I argued yes, sure, there were some gratuitous shots of jiggling and some. Uh, often quite lackluster go go dancing mm. in it. Low
3: energy go-go yes, dancing. Low energy go go dancing. Yeah.
1: Um, but uh, my my favourite bit about the whole film was that the woman who plays Batwoman Yeah. Who is who constantly wears a mask throughout the film, but you can see a half of her face. She she looks like Melania Trump.
3: She does bear an <laughs> uncanny resemblance <laughs> so, to the uh, yes. wife of the President of the United States. Yes. It has to be said. Neon, you idiotic fool! What do you think you're doing? <laughs> you you must
2: have switched the the glasses, my woman. I I only wanted to show you how wonderful they are. I, I only wanted to make you happy. Oh, <laughs> that's
1: where you made your mistake. <laughs> Yes, for something that was ad- advertised as the wild world of Batwoman, there wasn't really much wild. It's kind of
3: a low energy, bureaucratic happening. world of yes. Batwoman, yeah. I mean, we're, we're slightly kind of stealing our own thunder by, <laughs> by free reviewing our own review, but <laughs> I think we, in, in choosing these two films, I think we've come up with a kind of intriguing contrast between yes. an American exploitation film that's ripping off the Batman TV show, which is not very good.
1: Um, uh, yes, has
3: interesting aspects of it, but it's not. Great. Yes,
1: but let's not overstate
3: how interesting it is. <laughs> it's, interesting. It's, it's just not a very good film. Yes, but it does make an interesting contrast with Mexican Batwoman because yep. that's a genuinely quite good movie. Yeah, it's
1: a really good film.
3: So it's interesting to see exploitation uh, filmmakers trying to essentially pull off the same scam which is get people into the audiences thinking something is Batman, except with a woman. Yes. Uh, And then, you know, what they substitute for. But this is the point I'm trying to get at, which is in the 60s, uh, it was go-go-girls become motorcycle. Girl Gang is one option. Uh, It's interesting to think about the Batwoman rip-off films that we're not talking about today. So one of the ones we're not talking about is Batman Fights Dracula, Yep. From the following year, nineteen sixty seven, which is the, the Lost Filipino Batman ripoff movie uh directed by Leody M. Diaz, which is written about in Nick Diacampo's Lost Films of Asia book. Though he hasn't got much to say about it because to be honest, we don't we just don't know that much. No. But there are some clips of it which survive. There's that very interesting clip of um a woman uh going to someone's villa and it's guarded by bat amazons all these kind of hot filipino women with machine guns and weird masks and there's a lot of kind of uh, avengers by which i mean the, the tv british avengers yes. shots you know through women's thighs yes and stuff like that bat amazons you know what happens if you get a bunch of bat girls together is yes go go booted mayhem yes pretty much Although the Mexican Batwoman has a slightly different approach to that because she's a Batwoman, she's not.
1: She doesn't have She is a lot more like Bruce Wayne in that regard. That she has her trusted team within law enforcement who she works with, but she is very much a lone operator in the film. It's very interesting that she doesn't have to rely on anyone but herself for physically defending herself and getting into spaces where she's not meant to be for purposes of investigating and uh, and to do this she draws on her many skills and talents that she's had the times and means to cultivate including because she's wrestling. a rich woman including wrestling, yes
3: so she's also kind of a, a, her, her physical prowess extends beyond uh, her measurements yes to having a sort of genuine
1: uh, oh, she looks like an athlete. Athlete,
3: yeah. She, yeah. she actually could beat you up. Yeah.
0: Te felicito, Cada día aprendes
2: <laughs> más. Gracias a tus consejos. Hasta luego. Adiós.
3: So I want. I wonder how much of that kind of uh giving a woman superhero stuff to do is also. Intentionally, unintentionally, signaling, signaling to women in the audience mm-hmm. that they might like to do something, you know, besides be a secretary or, yeah, you know, whatever it is people were doing in 1966.
1: Yeah, the the Mexican Bat Woman film in particular felt a lot like a James Bond film, but with a female Bond. I mean the vibe and the atmosphere of the film felt very much like, you know, we were just following the adventures of this like, you know, you could conceivably believe that she would finish off with this one adventure and then fly off to a different place in the world. Yeah, there's and always get on another case. There's
3: always that stock shot in these sort of James Bond ripoff movies around sixty six, sixty seven of the sort of Japanese bond yes. or the or um uh, you know, if it's uh, uh, That Man from Tehran, yep. Frank Grama's movie, you know, the Iranian. The yes. wo- then it would have been the Persian.
1: yes,
3: uh, James Bond guy gets on a plane, but it's always a Pan Am. yes, It's always a bit of stock yes. footage of a Pan Am jet taking off. Equals. Yes. Jet setting, the Skullduggery. An yeah. yes. There's another interesting point that connects to the Batwoman character and these two movies, the wild world of Batwoman and which I'm going to let you uh, do the pronunciation <laughs> of, um, which is the sequence of cultural influences on exploitation movies and also on comics uh, from the, the mid-50s, so a decade this. before.
0: Are comic books good or are they not good? Now, it all depends on what you want. If you want to raise a generation that is half stormtroopers and half cannon fodder, with a dash of illiteracy, then comic books are good. In fact, they are perfect. It is no longer a question of what I say. The comic book publishers themselves have conceded everything I wrote in that article. One month after my article appeared in the Saturday Review of Literature, the comic book publishers issued issued a code. sadistic torture should not be depicted Race hatred should not be created. Crime should not be glorified. Now imagine for a moment, Mr. McCaffrey, if I would issue a code. From now on, Dr. Worthen will not beat his wife. He will not get drunk every night. He will not spend all his weekends at the races and all his money. (laughs) That means I admit having done all that.
3: Well, I'm glad you've reformed, Dr. Worthen. In 1954, you have the publication of Frederick Worthen's book, which is essentially saying that juvenile delinquency is strongly... Mm -hmm. Influenced by horror comics yes, And there were some very graphic and nasty horror comics Particularly EC horror comics in this period And that meant that The comics industry Responded in various different ways One of which was The Comics Code um, Anyone in the West who's grown up With comic books, American comic books Recognises that kind of, that weird little Symbol in the corner of a comic Saying it was approved by the Comics Code Authority But that was quite similar To what had happened with the movie industry uh, with the Hays Code which is to avoid federal censorship the movie industry came up with its own censorship board and the comics industry in the 50s did exactly the same thing so it banned a lot of uh, interestingly given that monsters show up in both these movies and both these movies have kind of oblique references to the universal horror films of the 30s and 40s uh, specific horror icons were banned So, after the introduction of the Comics Code in 54, you don't have Dracula Mm. in Marvel and DC Comics. You don't have the Boris, Carl, or Frankenstein's creature. Now, this is a bit of a digression. And while we're digressing, would you like to know what this music is? Yes. This is a cover of the Batman TV theme by the V-Rangers, who are an Austrian beat combo. And they did this in '67. Yeah, so there it was, the V Rangers. I quite like the sort of nice bouncy bass on that. It's quite rubbery. Nice. Um, Yes, anyway, I got completely off my point. Which is, uh, you, you didn't have the horror icons from the Universal movies in comics at this time and uh, this may interest you surety listeners it may not but you're going to have to listen anyway uh, I looked up when it was that Dracula showed up again in Marvel and DC Comics any idea when that was?
1: 60s? it's
3: late so I can't remember the actual date it was late 60s but what's interesting about it is it, they, they were brought back by Jack Kirby okay so Jack Kirby you know the now yes heralded as a kind of hugely influential artist, not just a comic book artist yes. but who designed a lot of these superhero intellectual properties that are now uh, pivotal to Disney's uh, you know vast revenues uh, but Jack Kirby left Marvel for a bit and went to work for the rival company DC because he was arguing with Stanley about money or something but Jack Kirby by this point was sort of regarded within the industry as kind of uh, you know, Old Testament prophet guy, which is kind of very much the archetype he he sort of kind of aspired to be, and then as as he got older, in in fact embodied. Um, but they would let him just do anything he wanted. So he wrote. Uh, it's a superboy adventure. This is getting quite technical and nerdy if you're not a comic book person. But there's an old comic book superhero called the Guardian. He's basically a guy with a shield, and he's got his own team. You know, he's kind of backup, who are the Newsboy Legion. This just shows how old this character is. That like wow. you, you could have like a your own kind of Baker Street Irregulars, who would be made yes. up of boys who who sold newspapers in the street. Yes. So, but the then Legion,
1: the Scrivener's Legion, <laughs> the
3: Scrivener's Legion.
1: Sure, what <laughs> yeah, would it be in India? It would fun. be a
3: Legion of those of um, those people that. Um, Clean your ears.
1: Yeah, I don't know
3: what they call them. What kind of no? What kind of jobs to do? Like if you if if you get a kind of if you the step up from being like a street urchin. What's that job? It used to be collecting plastic bottles on train stations for the plastic bottle mafia, but the police have cracked down on that now, haven't they? Yeah,
1: not really. No,
3: I haven't seen it. There's
1: still plenty of those.
3: But then why there piles of plastic bottles everywhere?
1: Because you know, they can't keep up with.
3: the so many plastic just kids bottles.
1: Kids having to do that stuff. The number of people in India who drop, just chuck plastic bottles out of trains or whatever every day, vastly outnumbers the people who are, who can go around collecting them. It's a full time job.
3: Music for films, digressing. <laughs> and tangential. So the Newsboy Legion have now grown up. By the time of the Superboy comic. And the guardian, I think, is dead or something, or frozen somewhere. As often happens. But anyway, they clone him, and they have a whole clone population on a secret, secret NASA moon. This is getting quite
1: uh, wow. Okay, yeah, quite
3: involved. So NASA's got a secret moon. The Newsboy Legion have cloned.
1: Uh, was the fake la- moon landing done on this I fake think that, moon sorry I think that, might, sorry, I don't, I think that yeah. might be part
3: of what Kirby had sorry, in mind I
1: don't, don't want to feel any, any conspiracy so you, theories so you have
3: a fake moon uh, Sure. you have fake people but yes. what's happened on the fake moon is they're now recreating the universal horror okay. movies as though it's just real life so like Dracula's sure. got a castle and Frankenstein's got a castle and sure. Maybe they move in together and have a house of Frankenstein. or You know, all those kind of things happen. And it's the first time in comics that they brought back a character that looked like the Bela Lugosi Dracula and a character that looked like the Boris Karloff Frankenstein. That there was such sensitivity about the power of horror yes. and these horror icons and the power of comics that it took more than a decade for yes. the comics industry to even let quite a sort of veteran comic book creator yes. go back and... Uh, Reuse these these old archetypes yes. or these old characters, although they weren't the copyrighted ones. I mean, obviously Dracula, yes, in movies I think Universal still have the copyright on, but yes. it's, you know it's a Bram Stoker novel, so it's so yes. old. Um, but so you had all that going on. That's 54 57 the Shock Theater package of fifty two films. Eventually there were one hundred and four because there was Shock Theater one package and then Shock Theater two package was syndicated to American television. So this was a package of 52 movies, all pre-1948 horror films. And if you had a small TV station in um, uh, Flemingsburg, Kentucky, you could show House of Dracula or I Was a Teenage Werewolf, all those kind of movies. And it gave all these films a, a completely new lease of life. Um, that's in '56. Fifty-seven, Forrest Jackman cashes in on this and brings out yes. Famous Monsters of Filmland a hugely influential yes. uh, magazine about horror movies and all the old actors and this becomes part of teen culture in the late 50s so by the time of the Adam West TV show although the Adam West TV show veers more towards burlesque and musical yes. and you know camp stuff overacting basically even though they had vincent price in it as egghead they weren't going the whole kind of gothic uh classic horror route that tim burton then took batman into with the batman yes. movies um i w- wonder
1: if this was to attract a wider audience if um to convince parents that they this thing that their teenagers were watching was not pernicious or too
3: scary or well would not encourage them to join juvenile street gangs, that was the main worry was that comics had had a role in encouraging kids to join um, you know, gangs of of kids with knives, what you see in West Side Story, which was a real social problem at the time Um, I don't know, it's an interesting question I mean it certainly is the case that the the 66 TV show came about because the Batman movie serials that had been made in the 40s by Columbia Pictures had been re-released as a theatrical feature. Uh, I'll get the date wrong. I think it was in 64. I might have got that wrong, but certainly a couple of years before, they'd just repackaged the, these serials from the 40s. And those have been unexpectedly successful. So they thought, well, we might as well just bring Batman back. And you'll you'll notice that the TV show and the Batman Movie from sixty six were just shot completely back to back because they figured, you know, if the show is successful, we can get a movie into theaters, and the movie will sell the television show, which will sell the movie. And you had a synergy between Batman as a property on television and Batman as a property in theater because at this point, movies' rival was colour television. It wasn't as it is now, streaming and the internet but it's kind of a similar thing but the, the, the copyright owner in this case Warner Brothers reached a completely different conclusion they didn't think well we can't have a Batman TV show running concurrently with a Batman movie because that will it's not quite clear why it is they've still got this problem because you've got a bunch of jokers in Warner Brothers movies they've kind of got over this problem of thinking that they've got to copy Marvel's playbook um, play for play they haven't got a DC universe and then everything that DC brings out all fits into it. It's possible in these CW TV shows that they're all going to... They're, they're doing Crisis on Infinite Earths. So yes. The comic books ended up with this problem by the late 80s of having a bunch of different worlds. Yeah, They'd explained why... Batman had been around since the 1930s, yes, and were still around 50 years later. By saying, "Well, there are actually several Batmen, but they live on parallel worlds," yes, and they crashed all these worlds together. And what they're going to do with the CW shows is crash all their worlds together, uh, possibly also crashing together Smallville, yes, and the 90s Flash, and who knows? I mean, um, uh, Burt Ward, who was the the Robin in the, the Adam West TV show is in these shows before yes. Christmas so presumably he's going to play like an old Robin yes like maybe Robin in the 70s fell out with Adam West's Batman and you know became Nightwing and kind of you know took to the mean streets of Gotham on his own and dispensed justice in what would have looked like I guess the Warriors God wouldn't that have been good if Walter Hill had made a, a Nightwing movie with with uh, old Burt Warden fighting the baseball furies I'd love to see that, I'd love to see Burt Ward up against the baseball furies but so in response to the the concerns both about the impacts of comics and horror on youth and also the sense that Batman was gay, I mean we've got to talk about this as well is that that Ruby Rose is a lesbian Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Batwoman in the comics now and in this TV show is a lesbian uh, in fact, do you know who's going to play Vespa Fairchild, her her adversary, at least the voice of her adversary in this show? No, Rachel Maddow. Okay. It was announced yesterday. Okay. You know, okay. the most prominent lesbian in yes. American um, culture, apart from Ellen DeGeneres, is now in this show. As kind of, the, uh, I'm not sure if Vespa Fairchild is going to be Batwoman's. Like villain, right. arch-villain.
1: More, more like a... More like J. Arch Jameson
3: to Spider-Man. Yes. Like yes. a kind of, you know, a, a constant yes. thorn in Batwoman's side. Yes. Which is a kind of familiar yes. archetype in comics, as you have the kind yes. of... Yes. The radio DJ or the newspaper columnist mm-hmm. who hates the superhero and he's constantly yes. antagonising them. It's an antagonist rather than yes. a, a nemesis. Yes. Um, but that's interesting that, that we've got to talk about the kind of LGBTQ+. Plus aspects of this I, as soon as I say that I, this, my heart sinks because I'm bound to offend somebody who have I left course, out yeah, I, I mean that know. plus covers a lot yeah, of ground, isn't yeah. it but the Bat family which came in after Frederick uh, Wortham's book was a response to the assertion that Batman is gay because he's an older rich guy who dresses up in skin tight costumes and runs around punching people with the assistance of his young ward, yes. initially Dick Grayson, who he's picked up off the streets. And for some reason in the 1950s, people read some kind of <laughs> dubious homosexual subtext into that. I'm not quite sure where they drew that inference. What what could possibly be unusual about a rich old guy picking up a kid off the street is that idea that there's anything unsavoury about that. Um homophobic
0: hmm.
3: and also it's interesting to think about that in relation to like le- depictions of lesbians yes. in cinema in, in a lot of ways it's much more comfortable for us to have Mexican bat woman you know with a massive cleavage in a bikini yes. getting out of the sea or bat woman in the wild world of bat woman having her bat girls do kind of uh, you know uh, levampia yes. stuff kind of run around Fighting crime as a kind of network of.
1: I think fighting crime might be an over. Observing crime, yeah. Yes, Riley observing crime while doing calisthenics in the background.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Adjacent to crime fighting. Uh, Yes. Uh, But in some ways, it's more comfortable to uh, suggest some kind of sapphic undertone to that kind of thing. Uh, in a more uh, heteronormative context of female sexuality. Yes. This is why all the stuff about Batman and Robin is still so, we'll use the P word, problematic. Yes. But, I mean, to, to, to draw that to both contemporary events... But also superhero movies, and also the f- enormous financial power of superhero movies. Yes, this is kind of one of the things Martin Scorsese is saying: is that that Marvel movies are not really movies. He's saying they're they're theme park rides. They're not about people's emotions and stuff. I mean, it does seem rather old fashioned.
1: It yes, it really does. It it it is a bit sort of old man screams at cloud. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> um.
3: but. The, qu-
1: uh, the the problem with uh, the other problem i have with what scorsese is suggesting that the kinds of filmmaking that he's criticizing here form parts of cinema going cultures in other parts of the world which have been going for decades and decades and decades so he's not just sort of dismissing a kind of film He's also. I don't think it was his intention, but he is sort of dismissing cultures of cinema going.
2: Yeah.
1: All across the world. Well, yeah, more just than, more than they just don't Hollywood. Yeah. Resemble the kind of films that he personally enjoys.
3: Well, also, if you think about the 1966 Adam West Batman movie, uh, should we listen to some music from yes. the movie? So this is Nelson Riddle's. Uh, incidental music for the 1966 Batman movie okay. shot almost back to back with the TV show to promote the TV show.
1: Okay,
3: after Let's its first it. season, going to the second season, and uh, this is a lovely piece of incidental music. Torpedoes. Ooh. Yeah, so it's quite a sort of fraught, stricken with danger. Yep,
1: yep, yep.
3: Uh, and, you know, we're having quite...
1: anticipation.
3: We're having quite a sort of delicate conversation about uh, representations of, of older gay men with money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've picked a track called Torpedoes. Yeah, it really isn't, you know... It's a gay minefield. <laughs>
1: it
3: really is. But to relate all of this to the power of cinema uh, say what you like about disney and marvel they've kept cinemas open they have we were told off the back of the banking crisis in 2007 2008 that was it yeah for cinema theatres
1: ah, in the west in the west in the west though yeah this is, this is sorry i will have a mini rant about this because this is a bugbear of mine with people talking about decline of cinemas they're talking about decline of cinemas in the uh, American European sphere because I don't think cinemas ever were or are in any imminent danger of declining in China or India in
3: fact the Chinese market is really important it, to American it, exactly, film production exactly and these exactly, superhero movies yeah, are really exactly, important to, to exactly, the Chinese audiences yeah
1: so cinema going in, in in the in the euro western american sphere might be declining but that that does not mean cinema going is declining over the world it's not a thing
3: but so what scorsese is criticizing is a kind of cinema which he thinks is sort of oversimplistic and is just a kind of a fun ride yes it's just there for thrills and spills but it is keeping cinemas open and you know i think every journalist or writer who's interested in this kind of stuff has a little you know a little file somewhere or a little collection of internet bookmarks on their browser of articles predicting the end of the published book yes here we are
1: yep. still buying <laughs> yes
3: and consuming published material yes on paper um but also the at the end of movie theaters yep has been predicted for at least 10 or eleven years and maybe that will happen but it looks as though these superhero movies are keeping them going but with that you get enormous power of showrunners on TV shows for streaming shows um, because television and movies seem to be some of the few things that have any kind of cultural footprint cultural yes. purchase that is mass culture yes. in a world of, of kind of increasingly uh, atomized social relations Yes. Uh, cinema and television is kind of one of the few bridges. I mean in, in the years since we made our, our Toby Young show, uh, you know, the world has been united by the experience of disappointment yes. of the last couple of episodes of Game of Thrones.
1: Yes. Oh no. Which is
3: another another podcast for another day. No,
1: yes. I no. Not today. Not today, Satan. But I like, can't
3: but like those guys, uh D D, yeah, I met D&D, one of
1: them. I I refuse to I refuse to say their names. D and D, yes.
3: Yeah, I met one of them. I met one of them just before the incident with uh, with the Hugo Award, mm. the actual physical Hugo Award, which uh, No maybe I won't talk about that on something I broadcast on the internet. No, but you know the criticism of those guys, or since we're talking about Batman and homophobic stereotypes, Brian Singer. Brian Singer, producer of the X Men movies. Yes. Try. I mean, I, try, I managed to get to the end of Dark Phoenix.
1: No but, the last X Men uh, movie. Mean, well done, well yeah. done. But also, you brought that upon yourself. So
3: there was a sub element of rubbernecking. There was a sub element of uh, I've watched all the other ones. Um, I might as well watch the last bad one. For Everyone Jennifer in Jennifer
1: Lawrence who Fassbender, just felt J lo just felt relieved to. Uh, have had an early death, so she didn't have to be more than in the film more than the first half of it. Yeah, she's
3: in the good bit of the film. Yeah, it's not, it's not that it's not actually not as bad as the, um, the previous one, Apocalypse. That's the really bad one. Great, right. but one of the things that Brian Singer, who, just in case Brian Singer's libel lawyers are listening, has not been charged with any crime successfully.
1: Yes, his alleged
3: his alleged crime malfeasances. Yes, um, but what those. Uh, Gay men in Hollywood are alleged to have done all the kind of rumours surrounding that whole scandal or controversy. Isn't so much to do in the public eye with their sexual orientation; it's to do with money and the enormous power of these movies. Yes, and I think perhaps in a way, Scorsese's complaint is a little bit misplaced. Is the kind of the mistrust of Disney or big Hollywood companies producing these uh, huge tempest summer movies yes. like Transformers is stuff like you know they're mm, selling out a bit to the Chinese government, you know. Yeah. It's it's stuff like um, you know all the all the controversy about casting Tilda Swinton as the ancient one in the Doctor Strange movies. Yes, uh, that she wasn't a a Chinese actor. Well or I think what that was really about was a Chinese-American actor. Yes. But surely if she's a Tibetan Buddhist tantric adept living in Kathmandu, which is where that movie is very clearly set, wouldn't she be Tibetan? Yes. Or possibly Nepalese? Um, but obviously to, you know, the, the problem that Martin Scorsese had with the Chinese government with his Dalai Lama movie is part of the, the danger with enormous wealth. Yes, it's not. It's not to do necessarily with you know what, what Boris Johnson might do. Alone with the large-breasted blonde American woman, you know, one afternoon in the East End. It's not that he's kind of perf- he's he's performing illegal acts. I'm not really even sure, you know, he's actually got the, the uh, the mustard to do that these days. Really, he looks an absolute fright.
1: Couldn't have happened to a nicer man. It's an ab-
3: absolute state of him. He just looks like just like gummage. he's just been you know come back from a uh, a prolonged period of sex tourism in uh, Thailand or something like that and he's just completely tucked out moving on isn't the controversy about Batman and super rich billionaire technocrats more to do with money and power than with their orientation. Whereas, what, what sort of defining Ruby Rose as Batwoman is? We've got an American TV show with, a, you know, a, a lesbian character. Yes. You know, in a kind of antagonistic relationship with Rachel Maddow. Yes. Because you're, quite, I mean, you're quite critical of the Tony Starks of this world.
1: Yeah, I am. Uh, I am very uncomfortable with the idea that we're just supposed to trust uh, supremely wealthy white American men who have golden hearts that were meant just meant to trust the fact that they will only do good with what they have. Mm. I mean, why? Mm um even even even the idea of the avengers as this group that, that saves the world they're, they're all still very privileged mostly white americans hmm. why should the rest of the world trust them to have the interests of the world at their heart it's such a bizarre idea
3: not only that they're they're white and male and rich for the most part but also that they're old
1: yeah. I mean, they're
3: kind of middle aged guys.
1: Exactly.
3: It's going to be interesting to see how Marvel handles the, the kind of new set of characters, the kind of more kind of indie comics characters that Marvel brought in to connect with the younger yes. audience. Yes, yes. Uh, particularly characters that, that writers like, like Brian Bendis came yes. up with. So there's going to be on the Disney streaming app a, a Miss Marvel show. Yes. So there's going That's to be right. a, a Muslim superhero. Yes. Uh, and they're promoting her quite heavily in the Saturday morning cartoons. Um, I've been watching these Marvel Rising cartoons where they've kind of got like Teen Titans, like a teen yes. group of superheroes who all hang out in an old garage and yes. Spider Gwen is another one. Yeah, uh, Ironheart, R- uh, Riri Williams yeah. is the kind of standing for Iron Man. Uh, I
1: mean, I I see where Scorsese's unease uh, this is coming from that these mega entertainment events which is what they are they're not just films they're experiences and events are uh, being controlled by corporations who have a lot of money
2: Mm.
1: but the flip side of that is that because they are such massive corporations uh, whose franchises are now not just distributed films are not just experienced in cinemas anymore we experience films through gifts. Hmm. Circulating on Twitter, we experience them through memes. We experience them as screenshots, hmm. which people then add commentary to. So, these corporations know that now their films are being, their films and other products are being experienced in a world where people do want diversity. Do di- people do want different characters being represented and different experiences being represented? Uh, because these corporations know that that it's in their financial interest to become more diverse these franchises then ultimately do end up becoming more diverse and catering to a sort of vi- wider palette of people's experiences
3: there was a fun moment in the Titans TV show which is streaming on the DC app in America where um, the new Robin Jason is talking to the old Robin, Dick Grayson, and saying, Well, you know, Bruce always knew to dress us up in this bright red vest, so we'd just be a deflection, so people would shoot Mm -hmm. at us and not at him while Mm. he was doing his stuff. Mm. And there's a sense in which all these kind of brightly coloured, and I have to say also, you know, diverse Rainbow Nation characters are a bit of a deflection from what the old Bruce Wayne guys. Mm. running these big corporations are still up yeah, to
1: because yeah. they're still
2: yeah, yeah, funding yeah, yeah. Donald
3: Trump yeah. Donald Trump's probably a big Black Panther fan Yeah. you know he's still the guy's still a racist but he probably watches those movies and he's just like yeah you know sure I'll watch that as well The Commodification of Teenage Kicks yeah. by Richard old white guys well that makes me since we're talking about the 60s uh, it makes me think of that uh, line from the Beatles song, which is uh, much debated over, very enigmatic. She was just 17, if you know what I mean. Hmm. What does it mean, Shruti Narayan Swami? I'm, I'm looking for an answer here. Okay, let's, let's say you don't know. I'll tell you who might do though, the One, two, three,
2: One, two, three, four, one, two, three. <laughs>
3: That was uh, the B Colette's only 17. And uh, as I'm sure you noticed, Shirty, it sounded quite like the Shangri-La's leader of the pack. Yes, it
2: did. Well, that's not a
3: coincidence because the writer and producer of it was George Sharon Morton, Ooh. who produced both.
2: Okay.
3: Uh, well, that was very pleasant.
2: It was, yes.
3: So, I mean, to kind of to round this up for part one, because mm-hmm. in part two, I think we're going to watch the movies and talk about the movies. So I have fewer music breaks. But I think to start off um, the part two discussion, I want to delve a bit deeper into a very interesting point that you made earlier on um, about the fact that these movies, whether it's a rip-off Batwoman movie in the 60s or uh, you know Batwoman on television in 2019 or Marvel movies, uh, there's an uh, audience for these things which is worldwide. And in your own research, academically, I know that you've done some very interesting uh, writing and thinking around this, and also with our uh, friend Ian. So we won't talk about that now, but can you just kind of set that up for part two? Um, So this is Ian's book, The Hollywood Mean, but also your interest in the movie Superman of Malagon. What is it that's interesting about an American... Character or an American intellectual property like Captain America in a Turkish İstalgan movie, or Batwoman in a Mexican movie, or Superman in an Indian movie made in a, for a video parlor. How how is it that these very sort of quintessentially American characters can morph and mutate? Because that's kind of what's happening with Batwoman. She started off as being Batwoman, Batman's. Girlfriend. Yes.
1: yes, and now to basically yes. be
3: his beard. Yes, and now she's actually become an interesting lesbian character on television yes. in her own right.
1: I mean, it's because uh, in my mind, I I think personally, Superman is a bit different than Batman in this regard because when I don't even as a kid, I never thought of Superman as an American superhero. He was like Charlie Chaplin no one i wouldn't think of charlie chaplin as the english comedian actor mm. he was just charlie chaplin yeah, it's, it's, it's he is universal yeah. he is just universal the, the, these characters feel like they just sort of belong to the rest of the world um it's a bit different now especially with say nolan's batman films that they are so set within the sort of american context of the uh american capitalism and oligarchy and it's so rooted in the financial collapse that it feels a lot more obviously it still has its global resonances but that's a that's a hollywood film to me but like the early iterations of superman when i used to watch superman cartoons as a kid i never really got the sense of him as being an american superhero which he is but to a little girl sitting in India he just felt like a sort of universal that you know I just assumed that if there was any trouble in India Superman would show up because he sort of belonged to the whole world and that's what I tried to got, get at with when I was looking at the film Superman of Malega mm. which is uh, this documentary which is available on YouTube so you can watch it right now uh, it's one of my favourite documentaries which um It follows the process of uh, a Superman film being made, an unofficial, of course, an unofficial uh, Superman uh, adaptation set in a very small village in Maharashtra, India. And it's made with uh, no budget. Wow. Uh, But it's extraordinary how the filmmakers adapt the story of Superman to talk about the local issues of the small town so you know that the, the Lex Luthor the rip, the uh, the counterfeit Lex Luthor in this film he doesn't have some global corporation um, that's running some kind of massive uh, conspiracy that's going to change the world.
3: About clones. Yes.
1: Uh, no. There are no clones. Uh, the, the the the Lex Luther in drones. the small to- town town uh, wants to make uh, wants to make more people ad- addicted to chewing tobacco. So so the film deals with very small localized concerns. So other people have already written about how beautifully Superman of Malagao adapts this global franchise to suit the sort of local audiences and make it relatable to their concerns. But I was really interested in how much we overlook the fact that these uh, unofficial rip-offs, so to speak, are... Also interconnected with the sort of unofficial global canon mm. of, of of the official um, films from the franchises,
3: and it's fun when things make the translation, but also sometimes when they there's sort of a bit of a kind of bump in the road of the translation. Yes. But we'll we yes. we spotted one when we watched the Hindi um, yes uh, dub for the first Spider Man yes movie yes um, but we'll talk about that next yes. time
1: but what what I'm trying to say is that um, it's very easy to sort of dismiss these rip these Me- Mexican Batwoman film
3: Bochpuri Spider-Man uh,
1: Bochpuri Spider-Man uh, I mean Bochpuri spider is a different case because it was the official Spider-Man mm. uh, film but it was officially dubbed in Bochpuri for a the Bhojpuri-speaking audience in India. What I'm talking about is the unofficial sure. there, is, there is an
3: unofficial Bhojpuri Spider-Man. I'm as sure. Well. I'm yeah. sure there, there is. There I'm is. sure there There's is. There's a guy dressed yeah, I'm sure as Spider-Man in a film. So it's yeah. it's
1: very it's very easy and it's very tempting to sort of make fun of what they don't manage to do because they don't have money and because the filmmaking practices Funny are foreigner. a bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But actually, they are following in the vein of the official canon Mm. because superman this is what superman elseworlds are
2: yeah
1: the the whole elseworlds banner is about imagining different supermen born in different places in different realities so if if the official elseworlds banner can uh reimagine superman being born in soviet russia Mm. as the red sun it would follow that Superman can also be born in Malega or Maharashtra as the Superman of Malega it's very
3: interesting that the people in in online fandom, I'm not saying fandom, but the people who opine mainly on YouTube uh, and, and fret about canon you know, who complain that some aspect of Star Trek discovery is uh, veering from canonicity in some kind of Worrying and possibly yes. dangerous way, they tend to be people who are also quite unhappy about what they see as a feminist agenda. Yes, it's interesting that these two preoccupations canon and yes, pushing back against what they perceive as political correctness, yes. how allied those yes. two things are. I wouldn't put it any more strongly than yes. that. Well, that's all very interesting, and I look I look forward to yeah. that aspect of our discussion because I think, in terms yeah. of setting part two up, um, we're not interested in. The Mexican Batwoman movie because it's a sort of you know, bore a funny out making yeah out.
1: ironic no
3: it's a good movie yeah
1: it's a, it's a genuinely good film and I am interested in I am obviously interested in how it is adapted for a Mexican audience but I think it's also important to acknowledge how these films are interconnected hmm. to the the the larger uh, franchises even though they're not official offshoots of yeah I mean
3: it. what we as the as the public think yeah. it was being yeah. Canon, rather yeah. than what the corporation that owns the IP of yes. the canon. Yes, very interesting. Um, so, I mean, to to wrap up this part of this, the discussion, what what intrigues me about the idea of uh, lesbian Batwoman on television is once you kind of get beyond all the sort of hoary old uh, male gazey stereotypes about lesbians, you get. Orange is the new black. You get a, yes. a good television show that happens to be about mostly female characters. Yes. Some of whom are attracted to each other. With Sherlock Holmes, I think the most fun we've had watching a new iteration of Sherlock Holmes is the HBO Asia Miss Sherlock. Yeah. Where if you just do Sherlock Holmes, but rather than have all the majority, rather than have the majority of characters be male, the majority of characters are. Female, yes, and in this instance, Japanese, yes. And it, it, surprise, surprise, if you have a lot of characters who happen to be women, it's just as interesting as if they were, men. yes.
1: Who would have thought? Wow, why blowing my mind? Wow,
3: but so, where where are they going to take this with Ruby yes. Rose's Batwoman? Um, insofar as we've seen where they're taking it, we've only seen her before tonight in this standalone Elseworlds, yes, crossover thing from the previous season uh where there was just this moment
0: oh yeah you know i gotta say uh, all the corporate billionaires i know wear versace and have 500 fewer tattoos
3: mm. and those are the ones that you can see
0: oh <laughs> that's a mystery
3: so oh, that's, that's very a... deftly done because yes. she's well it's pretty obvious what that's about yes uh also, then after that, at the end of that show, there's this other moment.
0: Yes, there is. Wherever your cousin is, I'm sure he's really proud of you. X-ray vision. You really do have a lot of tattoos. And somehow I feel like Cara Danvers doesn't have a single
3: one. So is checking
1: mm-hmm.
3: Kate out?
1: Mm-hmm. So what, y- yeah.
3: But one what, what of the things that's so cool about that at least to me as an ostensibly straight man in this conversation is how deftly it's done yes so for example this is something I I was wondering about and I would like to know what you think how are they going to handle the whole thing that you always have in these superhero TV shows less so in movies of the Bat family or you know Team Arrow or Team you always have a bunch of sub superheroes and sub crime fighters and they always have a lair which is like the Bat Cave. Although, you know, it might be in a disused factory or the basement of a tower of a um, skyscraper somewhere or, you know, wherever it is. But they were stand around uh, laptops and plasma screens and they talk about the plot and they expose it a lot and then somebody goes, I'll look on the dark web. Sure. And the dark web usually gives you the next plot coupon. Yes. Um, Are they going to do that with this CW Batwoman show? Because... Like, is it going to be that Batwoman almost forms Team Batwoman and then just kind of goes, nah, yeah, nah, don't do teams? Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think it's...
3: You know, good. black leather uniform, yeah. motorbike. I'm yeah. In. Lona, yeah. Lone Girlman, look at how yeah. I dress.
1: Yeah. I don't know if they're going to sort of uh, give Batwoman a sort of matriarch, sort of den mother type of role where she has she's sort of in charge of all these other Batlings in the Batcave Um, it might happen or they might just go you know Kate might just go no I'm more of a more of a lone rider I have my trusted people who I work with but I work alone that's what they've mostly tried to do with Bruce Wayne they've never really sort of uh, before the Lego Batman film because one of the key um conflicts at the heart of the Lego Batman is how Batman is a, a, a loner and uh, he ends up having to take in a young, young person uh, and by the end of the film we sort of see Bruce Wayne himself the, the, the, the, the, the iconic loner himself being pushed into a sort of almost like a parental role which he resists but then he finds out that he actually also enjoys it at some level, so I don't know which direction they were going. with
2: that one? In the darkest night, huh? I make the bad guys fall. Huh? There's a million heroes, huh? but I'm the best of them all. Yeah! who has the coolest gadgets? Who has the tricked-out
3: ride? Who does the sickest backflip? That was uh who's the Batman, broom the batman lego film i think the best of the lego films really, apart from the lego yeah movie. i agree in indian cinema where actors perhaps have a slightly longer shelf life than they do in western cinema uh when you've had a superhero character come back it was much more in this kind of matriarchal role yeah. so tell us a bit about mary evans and um Killari.
1: yeah so after her she peaked with her stunt films in the mid 30s and the early 40s. Um, but then uh, Mary Evans just sort of ended up making a comeback with this film called Kilardi or The Player. <laughs> Sounds more like a person who's sort of playing around with sort of like sexual contacts contests. Uh in, in Like the,
3: swingers, sw- the John yeah, yeah, sort
1: of. People on the pool. But Singles
0: bars, uh, but in the in the Indian sales. um in
1: in the in the Indian context, Kiladi sort of means someone who's like um
0: God of gamblers. Know, just
1: like a just like an accomplished person, like, you know,
3: chess grandmaster jack of all
1: jack of all trades oh i see yeah. like a kind of macgyver kind of. type
3: character yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Cool. so she comes back as this uh as this elderly spy master. and i haven't seen the film but it's very interesting because it's in 1968 and you can clearly see that she's an older woman mm. at this point um
3: and she puts on different disguises. Like she does, yes. Uh,
1: exactly. The Bombay Wildcat. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And this fantastic scene where she tests uh, uh, a bulletproof jacket by having someone fire directly at her. Yeah, at the start at of it, yeah. yeah. That's one. Excellent.
3: It's quite shocking, actually. And then... She's she fine. gets up, she's
1: yeah.
2: fine, yeah. <laughs> well, gentlemen, your experiment is a great success.
3: A bulletproof jacket. Well done, well done, well done. Because, I mean, I, I was hoping uh, that what they might do with Batwoman is have her in the movies and have Kathleen Turner yeah. as Batwoman. Yeah. Because in a lot of ways, the Batwoman... Character as a detective, yes. Forget Batman is yes. the Dark Knight Detective. Yes, uh, we have a kind of template for a, a, a hard-boiled, yes, woman detective in yes. V.I. Wachowski, yes, which is this very successful series of, yes. of books. Yes, Kathleen Turner made one yes. movie which should have become a franchise,
1: yes,
3: uh, but because she was an older woman yes. in Hollywood, it didn't go down so well, yes, which I think, well, I mean, it says yeah. all the obvious things about Hollywood.
1: Yeah and we'll we'll talk about it when it comes to a Mexican batwoman film but a part of her her being batwoman is doing the detective
3: Yeah she biz, she yeah. finds plot coupons yeah, and she yeah, follows a trail yeah, of evidence yeah and yeah. yeah Well shutting Ryan Swami I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation so far about the wild world of batwoman stroke Mexican the batwoman Uh And all that's left for me to say in conclusion, apart from that I'm very much looking forward to part two of our conversation. Yes? uh, Is I Don't Love You. Oh. It's the name of the music we're playing out with, and it's the Continental Coets who were from Fulda, Minnesota.
1: You rascal.
3: podcast is more music for films and you can find it on thebeekeepers.com or your podcasting application of choice.